0: Welcome to Real Crime NYC, where you'll hear real New York City crime stories told by real New York City cops. We'll also discuss some hot topics that have a law enforcement angle. I'm Pat. Join Chris, Bill, and I for this episode of Real Crime NYC, where we'll discuss the current crime situation in New York City. Is it a case of perception versus reality? Well, I think the three of us are uniquely qualified to weigh in on it. Okay,
1: guys, what do you got? You often hear statistics being provided in an attempt to paint a picture that's only people's perception that crime is up, but statistics can be manipulated to prove whatever you want. Mayor Adams once said, being safe is feeling safe. No one wants to hear stats when they don't feel safe. And the reality is that in New York City, we gauge major crimes by the seven major crime category, which is murder, rape, robbery, assault they're up 30% this year. And more and more, people don't feel safe. So is the perception and reality of crime in New York City one and the same? Well,
0: Bill, in this case, they're the same. If you look at the, the the actual crime statistics, the only one of those seven majors you talked about was murder that's down. The rest of them are up and up substantially and up over the last few years. So in this case, the answer to the question is perception is reality. The other part of that is you can't rely strictly on the data, on the Comstat data, the crime reports, because there are things that people witness, experience every day that'll never end up on a crime report. How about the the homeless guy on the train platform that's, uh, you know, defecating right there on the platform while your daughter's trying to go to work? How about the crazy man in front of your Rite Aid store that's throwing things at passerbys? By the way, every time you go to your Rite Aid to pick up a prescription, Either someone's in the right aid actively stealing something or the police are there taking a report for the guy who just left who stole something. So I think the answer is, in this case, perception is reality.
2: When you commute to Manhattan uh, for the past 10, 15, 20 years and you've seen uh, the quality of life offenses uh, get less as the years went on uh, in the 90s and the early 2000s, and then all of a sudden a few years ago it starts becoming uh, getting more and more like the squeegee men um like you said on the platform it, it is reality it's your perception is 100 percent reality because you are seeing it every day it's out there you're living it
0: well i don't i don't think anyone can deny if they're being truthful that there is a sense of disorder in the streets of new york city right now i live here i know you guys live in new york city it is different than it was several years ago and you know, it's it's not just, uh, I don't want to minimize it by saying it's a problem with uh, mentally ill people and homeless people and petty crimes. All crimes count. But let's look at the reality. We're not talking about petty crimes here solely. Rape is up 10%. robberies up 31.5%. Felony assault up 13%. Burglaries, people breaking into your house or your business up 28%. Grand larcenies, over a $1,000, up 37%. There's no denying we have a crime problem right now. And add to it those other crimes that are happening right in front of people every day in the street. There's an actual crime problem. And people get a sense of lawlessness. You know, in the past, it was always felt that the public supported the police. Well, one of the things that's changed, too, is right now a large portion of the public might not support the police if you witness the demonstrations that happened a couple of years ago and uh, the restrictions that have been put on the police, you know, there's a lot of factors here, but it's undeniable. There's a crime problem in New York City. Some things need to be changed. And I'm not blaming the police. They're still out there making the arrests. Those arrests aren't being prosecuted. When they are prosecuted, the judges don't have the discretion to keep them in jail.
1: You know i I remember 15 years ago 20 years ago one or two people would complain you know when they would go into the subway to take the uh, train to work the manhattan they felt that there was a homeless person around there was uh, somebody loitering and they just didn't feel comfortable so the answer to that was the omnipresence putting a cop out there and that person would now walk into that subway station they'd see that police officer and they feel safer they get on the train and go to work And it solved the problem back then. 10 years ago, that worked. I would say right now, that's the band-aid that the city is trying to put over the wound, and it's not working. And the reason why it's not working, because it just got so out of control right now, there's not just one person that may be harassing somebody, looking for money, homeless. There's many, many people there doing that and making people feel uncomfortable. And then when you compound it, and Pat, you mentioned it, Those little crimes, the quality of life crimes, the little crimes that are happening. And then you add in the crimes that I just added, the major crimes, the rapes, the robberies, the felony assaults. This year, right now, there's over 100,000, seven major crimes that occurred in New York in in November. And this is the, the one thing that New York City uses. They use per capita crime. So they say it's the safest big city. In the United States, and they use because there's eight eight and a half million New Yorkers, and then they say, "All right, how many crimes happened?" And then you have this chance of being a victim of a crime. So there could be, you know, 500 murders in a year, but your chances, when you add in the eight and a half million, are a lot less than when you were in a small town. And let's let's just say it is, you know, 100,000 people in that small town, and there were, you know, 50 murders or 20 murders or 10 murders, and then you look at it per capita. But I would say 100,007 major crimes. That means if you want to do it per capita, you have a one in an 80 chance this year of being a victim of a serious crime, not alone being a victim of a quality of life crime or being a victim of somebody harassing you or somebody, just a homeless person with a mental problem coming at you and you don't know what to do. You fear, you fear that person. You see them every day. And, you know, so there's so many issues here that we could discuss that's making people feel unsafe. And to me, I believe that that's not just perception, although it is perception, but it's also reality. So perception is reality. And you're right. You said it in the beginning.
0: Just to respond to two of the points you made, Bill, the first one being the omnipresence. I commend them for doing that. But right now, with the low number of police officers that are actually on the job, that's unsustainable. The police can't be everywhere. And right now they're filling those posts on overtime. Now the cost, hey, if you need it for public safety, you spend the money, no big deal. But there's a factor that weighs in on the cops too. These cops are exhausted. They're not getting days off. They're working 12 hour tours or 16 hour tours. That's in the short term, fine. But in the long run, that's unsustainable and it becomes counterproductive. So what you have to start doing is taking action. You have to start uh, ejecting unruly, disorderly people from the subway system. You have to move along the, the homeless encampments, not let them set up. Provide the services, sure, but the first step is moving them along. They can't, they can't establish a home in the street. Um, and I don't want to make it sound like it's just a homeless problem. The criminals out there are having a field day right now. Because there's very little chance that there's going to be any meaningful consequences. Everything in the criminal justice system right now seems to be weighted very much in favor of the criminal and against the victim of crime. The DAs have become social workers instead of prosecutors. We could arrest people all day long. If there is no consequence, what's the use? Yeah, Pat, it's definitely a multifaceted
2: problem between bail reform, cashless bail, the loosening of the laws, uh, the not enforcing the minor crimes. Another thing you, no one's broaching on is the bad economy. And we have a bad economy. When times get tough, people resort to stealing to to help their family. Um, mothers will steal baby food, diapers, things of that nature, like you alluded to with the Rite Aid. Um, so the bad economy is also a problem.
0: Especially when they see people every day walking in and doing it for profit, stealing. Why not still to feed my baby?
2: Right, and like you said, there's no consequences. You got the, the court side of the problem. Judges are restricted from making decisions that they feel are best. You got the state and city legislature, that's a problem with loosening the laws. And then you have the police side, the, the lack of manpower. Uh, we used to say something years ago, when your arrest and enforcement went up, your crimes went down. It was a, uh, it was a uh, teeter-totter, it went up and down. Uh, you don't have the manpower to do what what we did years ago. Now what they're doing, like Bill said, they're putting a Band-Aid on the wounds. They're taking personnel from other commands, other bureaus, and they're putting them out in East New York. They're putting them out in the South Bronx. You know one time a week those guys don't want to get involved. they left their nice desk job at one point they're working one day a week in another borough and you're gonna trust them to do enforcement to make arrests, go through the court system that they're not familiar with over an eight ten hour period a day or two they're not going to do it. So if the high visibility doesn't work and you need enforcement, they're not going to engage to that next level. The sad reality is stop and frisk worked, see has worked. And guys don't want to put their hands on people anymore. They don't want to take police action. And it's created a big problem.
0: Part of that is because they've made the rules of engagement so restrictive on the police officers. I mean, anyone who's ever tried to restrain someone or actively fight with someone without putting their hands on their neck, their chest, or, you know, restricting their breathing in some way, that's just totally unrealistic. It's it's unfair to ask police officers. Policing is a contact sport. One of the old chiefs used to say this all the time. Not all the time, but it is a contact sport. And to you're almost asking the cops to go to out there and do things with one arm tied behind their back. The other thing is, you mentioned uh, one of the Brooklyn neighborhoods. This administration is going to be uh, getting a report card in a month or so at the end of the year. And people are going to expect to hear what what they've done, what their successes are, and what the plan is going forward. So I'm sure they're going to eke out some kind of a victory and say, well, we've brought the shootings and the murders down. But to put it in perspective, and I'm not minimizing this at all, obviously, when people get shot and killed, it's the worst thing that could happen. But we're talking about 300 crimes in this entire city, and it's mostly restricted to maybe four neighborhoods, four regions of the city. The rest of the city is not experiencing that. What you have, on the other hand, is 100,000 other citizens that are being the victims of those other felony crimes we mentioned. 100,000. And we're devoting a huge part of our resources to the shootings and the murders, which we have to do. It it would just be immoral not to. But we can't forget those other 100,000 citizens that have been the victim of felonies. And those are the only the ones that have been reported.
1: We're seeing 100,000. And then you got to look at people that are mentally unstable. How many times a day they're making people feel uncomfortable. They're making people feel unsafe. And it'll
0: never show up on a crime report
1: ever. Never, never will it be reported. And that that's a major issue for law enforcement because you could have these mentally unstable people And you could say they're homeless or they're not homeless. I'll put it in a a category of mentally unstable people that are out there. And there's many out there that are making young people, elderly people feel uncomfortable, feel unsafe. That is reality. And to deny that or to say, well, you know, the statistics show that this amount of crime in, let's say, the transit system, there's only three crimes a day and there's two and a half million riders. So your chance of being a victim of a crime, say that, and they are, to these young individuals, these elderly individuals that are getting on that train every day that don't feel comfortable. And that's not right. It's wrong.
0: So so three people in that system that day were the victim of a felony crime. That's terrible. But two million out of the two and a half million Witness something other than a felony crime that made them feel uncomfortable being there. And that's that's the problem.
2: You also have the social media problem today. Uh, if there's a crime that goes on, it goes viral. Uh, it goes it goes throughout the city instantly, if not the state or the country. People see it. And that adds to the perception of being unsafe. If you look at these numbers, uh, there's many variables that go into this that people don't realize. One thing I know they compared the numbers today to the 2 year, the 12 year, and the 29 year. I remember years ago, it would be the 5 and the 15 year. And then when it changed, when the when the year changed, they would change what year they were comparing it to. It They changed it to whatever suited their agenda. Whatever, whatever supported their narrative, whatever helped the city with their crime numbers looking better, they would make those comparison years different to make the current year look less.
0: Yeah, in the old days, you would know about the crime if it happened in your neighborhood or maybe if it was so egregious that it made the, the six o'clock news or the front of the newspaper. Nowadays, everybody knows about every crime that happens in every neighborhood if they want to, because it will come to their social media. But let me give you a real life illustration of, of, of what we're talking about, I think. I have a, uh, a neighbor, a recent immigrant to the United States, female. In the last two and a half years, she's had her car broken into 14 times. 14 times she's had her car broken into. She doesn't have to get out of that neighborhood. She doesn't have that's given up. And we don't do that in Brooklyn. They might do that elsewhere. We don't do that in Brooklyn. She she doesn't make a lot of money. Small business owner. Got to give her a lot of credit. But she gave up reporting it. And then the few times she did report it, the perpetrator was identified. And it turns out this, this individual has like 96 prior arrests, 96, one individual. And when he gets arrested, I got to tell you, the cop on the beat does a, a great job, recovers video, gets the guy identified, gets him in the act sometimes on videos. But the guy's up to multiples of multiples of car breaks before the DA says they have enough to arrest him. And then they arrest him. And he doesn't get prosecuted. He's back out on the street the next day. So, no wonder why he racked up 96 arrests because he's never being incarcerated. At what point do you say, yeah, there's a couple of felonies in there, but most of them are misdemeanors? At what point do you say this guy's got to be And your
1: being victimized two times over because cars being broken into, that number for the most part, probably doesn't count towards the felony statistics. The DA...
0: Well, think about it. Three out of the 14 were reported. Right. And... So if you use that percentage for the rest of the crime, we, we got a much bigger problem.
1: You look at what, the way the DA is going about this. For whatever reason, the progressive movement in the United States, the progressive movement in New York City, these DAs are not moving forward. And you could look at... Many different reasons why they're not moving forward. Are they trying to empty out Rikers Island so that now they could close Bingo. Bingo. Distribute the, the prison population throughout the city to five boroughs. That seems to me the main reason why they're trying to get that prison population down. But with that, these individuals are out on the street. They're committing these crimes. Many of them are not being reported. And your neighbor, she's saying they don't feel safe. They don't feel like they, they're protected. And that's the situation that most New Yorkers feel that they're in right now.
0: Yeah, I'm not, I'm not against uh, you know a diversion program for someone who's committed a low-level misdemeanor, and maybe it's their first or second shot at it, but they're taking it to absurd levels where when they get to arraignment, the judge's hands are almost tied that they have to offer them diversion they can't set bail and they can't weigh in the fact that this person is dangerous to the community and has 96 prior arrests. It's
1: and he's back out there right now, probably as we're speaking, breaking into someone else's car.
0: And the police in my neighborhood will arrest him tomorrow again. The cops are doing their part. We need the prosecutors to stop being activists and start prosecuting. They're not social workers. They were elected to prosecute. We need them to give the judges the discretion to remand people, even if it happens to be a misdemeanor charge. If this person is going to be a danger or a multiple recidivist, a repeat offender, a judge should have the leeway to put them in. And that whole issue with closing Rikers Island, the big lie, a certain segment of the population is not going to abide by the rules. And a certain segment of them are going to need to be separated from the rest of us. That's human nature. You're never going to get around it. We need to have prisons to put people into. Well, in this case, that's a jail. But the whole fallacy that they're going to get the number down low enough to close Rikers Island, call it the big lie, because that's what it is.
2: Well, Bill, if you remember years ago when we were on patrol in Brooklyn, we used to say when we got that one perp that was hitting us hard, we would notice that next week or two later the crime numbers would drop. We would have that one Sometimes they'd be a street crawler. We used to call them a street crawler, a homeless guy that was out there and just doing crime whenever the opportunity came up. Maybe they would walk up and down the avenues, breaking into the car, or if a window was open, they'd hop in the window. Uh, and then we'd put the patterns together, and we would see what time of day they were happening, where they were happening. And the minute we made that arrest and we, we, we identified the purple, we caught him in the act, the next few weeks, that, burgl- that bur- those burglary crimes or whatever crimes were hot, Would significantly drop and then somebody else would get out of jail and then we do the same with them it's a vicious cycle uh it used to buy us the time to get to reduce crime significantly but now they just keep coming out
0: you know what the difference is now chris we had an anti-crime team we had cops in plain clothes that were trained to blend in do surveillance and they'd pick up on these people and follow them and catch them in the act Catch them in the act of breaking into a car. Catch them in in a live burglary. There is no anti-crime team out there now. Regardless of what they're telling you, you know, this whole idea that they reinstituted anti-crime, it's a bunch of nonsense. They're in uniform. It's just a, a different uniform. They put them in an unmarked car. Every perpetrator out there knows what an unmarked car looks like. Despite that, those teams are doing a phenomenal job. They're taking guns off the street left and right. But... Talk about you know weighing everything against the police being successful. How about we get plainclothes teams back out there that can blend with the community, that can sit on a stoop, stand on the corner, and follow the criminals without being in a uniform? Why not?
1: The reality of it is is there are some people out there that don't deserve to be out with society. They deserve to be in jail. And with them in jail, it makes the streets and the city a lot safer. To Chris's point, what we used to do when we had burglary conditions or robbery conditions, we used to call them bottom feeders, individuals that were out there. And they were preying upon elderly, preying upon young people to get some money to get a fix for drugs. And we knew if they were in jail, crime would go down at night. And if we knew that they were out there, they were going to be victims, car break-ins, burglaries, people being robbed. Grand that is reality. Some people need to be behind bars, and until we could get back there with letting politicians and elected officials truly understand that there are people that deserve to be behind bars, they cannot they cannot be rehabilitated. And that's something that you know it, maybe it's a mental problem. Maybe maybe they need medication. Maybe they need a psychologist, psychiatrist. But right now, they're out on a street. Maybe
0: st- it's just the human condition. Some people are not going to abide by the rules. It's human. It's the human condition. For all, for all of eternity, there have been people that don't abide by the rules. And something has to be done to protect the rest
1: of us. When people come to visit New York City and AX for advice, how do we stay safe? What is young people say, hey, we're traveling to, to the city. How do we remain safe? The number one advice that they get is don't make eye contact with somebody that you feel is mentally unstable. They're trying to get your attention. Don't make eye contact with them. And now we're saying don't go too close to the edge on a subway platform. Don't go too far out into the intersection because you may be pushed. So it just keeps expanding more and more as these people are out there and they're doing things that are causing harm to the many people that live in the city.
2: Another point I wanna bring out uh, is the children. I have uh, three children in school, in the city. About two weeks ago, there was a shooting at a high school. It was uh, two street crews uh, that were settling a beef, a street beef. One of the victims was a 14 year old boy who was an unintended target. As the scene unfolded, as the situation unfolded, Photos from the scene went viral through social media. My daughter got the photo on social media before the squad got it, before the police got it. And she sent it to me. And immediately panic set in. That's not perception, that's reality. And she wasn't even at the scene. She was 13 miles away in another school. And her and her friends all started to panic. Do we take the train home? She just became a victim. It's not you're not gonna see it on the comp stat sheets. It's it's not gonna be part of the numbers. These children are victims. All the schools in the surrounding area went on lockdown. Panic set into those schools. The children didn't know why they were being put on lockdown. Dismissal got delayed about an hour. Parents were panicking, and it set off a, a chain of events that made people worry. My point is, you don't have to be part of the crime. You don't have to be there. You see it on social media, you see it on TV at night. Uh, the, the amount of shooting victims are, uh, are more frequent even if they dip from time to time. We saw this weekend at Chelsea, there was two people shot. A relatively quiet, nice area. Uh, to have shooting victims in the in the middle of Manhattan, is a problem. People see it, they know it's there. For politicians and for lawmakers to keep deferring it, it, it's a substantial problem. Uh, We just had a governor race, and the governor said we're not going to talk about crime until after the election. So there's a serious lack of commitment, hierarchy of, of our government, to fight these issues. But as a parent, as a father with three young children, to me it's a top priority You know, we all spent many many years fighting crime we want these streets to be safe we want new york city to be safe we want to prosper we want the economy to get better we want travel to open up again people to come back to new york restaurants
0: to do better hotels to do better it starts with suppressing crime all right folks i think it's time we wrap up this this episode i think it's time we restore order in the streets elect DAs who want to be prosecutors, not social workers, restore judges' discretion so they can put people in jail when they need to be in jail, and stop this unrealistic notion of decarceration. And we need to support our police in any way we can. It's time we ended this dystopian experiment. It is clearly not working. And that's that. Thanks for joining us for this hot topic on Real Crime NYC. I'm Pat. I'm Chris. And I'm Bill. See you when we see you.